Hello, and welcome to the Relatable Homeschoolers Podcast, where four homeschooling mamas with a combined 32 years of experience homeschooling our 12 kids, and our homeschools are anything but Pinterest perfect. Whether you are a veteran homeschooler, a new homeschooler, or just homeschool curious, we want to encourage you in your homeschooling journey and offer you practical tips and tools to make your homeschooling life easier. We're so glad you're here. I'm Harmony Harkema. My co-hosts are Annie Carlson, Heather Gerwing, and Lindsay Hufford. Hey, everyone. We're so glad you could join us today. We're going to talk today a little bit about pandemic or emergency homeschooling, those times when you're maybe thrust into homeschooling unexpectedly without a whole lot of opportunity to think about it, to do a real deep dive beforehand or research and how we can handle that. The four of us have gotten a variety of questions. And Annie, if I'm if I remember right, you said that one of your first questions people are asking you is, how do I withdraw my child from public school in the current scenario, we've got a lot of parents who are concerned about what's happening with public schools and considering doing something different for the upcoming school year. And they're wanting to know how to get through the process. Well, it's going to be different for every state and probably there'll be different requirements in each school district. So what I'm telling people is to check with their local homeschool association. Um, Each state will have a homeschool association. What I tell people is you can't just not send your kid. Um, That is called truancy. And uh, that is not what we do. So you do need to inform your local school district that you will be home educating your child. Different communities have umbrella schools. And then your local school district can also give you a hand with those legal protocols that we need to follow. So one of the other questions we've been getting a lot of is physically, how do you homeschool? And by physically, I mean, how do you get your kids to sit down and do their work? Or how do you get them to function in a normal day? So I would say that a lot of it comes down to communication. In our house, we try to get buy-in from our kids on what our daily routine looks like. So for example, I have a family of early risers. My children, my husband and I are generally awake by 6.30 in the morning. And we school year round. Our kids are doing a lighter schedule right now. So they're doing some handwriting practice, math and some reading. And two of my three kids, my 10-year-old and my seven-year-old, are usually awake, have had breakfast, have done a chore in the morning, and have completed their little bit of schoolwork by 8 a.m. My 12-year-old, on the other hand, is not even out of bed by 8 a.m. And that's fine with us. Not everybody has to do their work on the exact same schedule as long as it's getting done. And I don't even really like the word schedule. Our uh, family tends to use the term a routine or a flow instead of a schedule, just because we try to get the same things accomplished every day in roughly the same order with a little bit of variance there. But it's not like at 8.45, you are doing math until 9.45. Yeah, that makes sense. That's how my family operates too, with a more of a routine or a rhythm. Every family is going to be different in this way. I mean, we have, some of us have kids who aren't going to want to stay in one place My family likes to move around and be in different locations depending on how they're feeling that day. Sometimes we're at the kitchen table. Sometimes we're in my home office. Sometimes we're out on the patio and we try to be a little bit mobile, but we're still trying to check those things off in the same relative order. It gives a sense of continuity to my kids and I really value what that does for them. They know what to expect, know what's coming. There's not a lot of surprises and that brings them a sense of comfort, but they're also young and some families may have kids who need to be 
up and down or kids who may need to sit in the same place and have a designated space for their schoolwork so that they can focus. I think it's going to change a lot too as families progress in their homeschool journey. When we first started homeschooling, I had these little old-fashioned school desks that my kids sat at and we did our work there in our little school room. And now our dining room table is kind of our hub, I guess I would call it, where they know that's where they can find help from me if they need to go over anything. But for the most part, everybody's taking stuff to different areas of the house, with the exception of my seven-year-old, because he still needs the most input from me. We're really able to be flexible with that. And it's changed a lot over the years. Even young children can take some ownership for their learning. They can have some some autonomy. They can have some decision-making ability when it comes to their learning. That's not possible in a traditional school setting with 20 to 30 children. But when you have your family, you can have that conversation individually with each of your children or as a family or both and say, how would you like to do this? You know, we can kind of craft your learning experience here. How do you think you know, we should start? And again, that can change as you progress, you know, even through a week you know, we can make changes. But I think this is a great time to get kids to provide their opinion, provide their preferences, make some decisions. They don't get to decide exactly what they learn. You know, maybe your curriculum decides that or your standards decide that, but they can have some autonomy over where, when, for how long they do their learning. I have to piggyback off of what Annie just said also that in giving your children some autonomy, generally you will have happier, more eager learners That's been my experience when my kids have a say in maybe what science we're going to learn for the year or even where they're going to do their math for the day or what time they're going to start. That feeling of autonomy has just always produced better results for us and everyone getting along better. Then also when you do have a subject or a lesson that's difficult, I feel like that bond is there between the parent and child that we work on this together. We're a team, not I am the teacher telling you what to do. So that autonomy goes a long way. I would agree. We definitely stick to a routine. I don't call it a schedule either because I don't put time slots to it or anything like that. But we do pretty much have a start time to our day just because I have two elementary students, a middle school student and a high schooler. So I do like us to start our mornings together just because it is the only time throughout the day that we are all going to be doing something together. And every year that kind of looks different what we do during that time. Generally, we start that at 9am. I'm not making my kids get up crazy early. And we spend about the first half hour to 45 minutes all together. Then we disperse into the different things. The routine for us helps us because the kids know when I'm available to help them with certain things. So like first, I'm going to work with the younger ones on their language arts. And then if the high schooler needs help with math, then I'm available later to help them with math. They know that's not going to be the first thing that they're going to need me for. So again, we have our routine and our flow to our days. For the most part, my older kids track their own schedules. They are responsible for their own work for every week, but at the same time, they know when I'm available for them. Okay, so just to circle back around, I think we all agree that autonomy and input from our kids makes for happier learning and kids who are invested. And so we don't need to be afraid of that. You know, when we think about moving into a homeschooling scenario, especially if we're coming off a public school scenario, we're thinking that parents need to be the ones making every decision, setting the tone, setting the scene, but we really can invite our kids into that decision-making process and figuring out how our homeschool life is going to look. 
Another question that you're probably asking is, where am I going to get what I need in order to homeschool my kids? And we want to talk about that a little bit. A lot of parents, not even parents, just interested individuals, when they find out that I homeschool, they say, oh, do you get the, do you get the books from the school? Mm-hmm. No, no, that's not how this works. Well, then the state must send you something. No, no, that's not how it works. Um, so that's that's a big misconception amongst kind of the general public. But parents who are really interested in homeschooling and trying to find out just exactly, okay, huh, how do I teach them math? Um, then you use uh, curriculum can help guide you in that scenario. So you're when you opt out of the public school system, you don't you don't get their stuff sent home with you. And I think that's a differentiation that needs to be made between doing a virtual school at home because they provide the instruction right with Zoom calls or some sort of email check-ins versus homeschooling where you're providing the materials. And whether that be a full-fledged curriculum, whether that be some bits and pieces, whether that be library books and periodicals, that is up to your choosing. Well, and I think we recognize that we're probably going to have some parents who are going to choose maybe even some form of a hybrid approach, or they've already been down the road of having the school system supply the curriculum and they're just managing the at-home pieces. That doesn't mean that if you decide to go with the school curriculum or whatever the school is going to be providing, especially in this season of coronavirus that we're in, where some schools are just going to be completely online, that you aren't still trying to figure out how to do that at home. And some of what we're talking about today can help you with that, even if you are going with the school curriculum. But you also can choose to opt out of what the public school is offering. Every state has provisions for homeschool. They look different state to state. Again, you can go to the HSLDA website to find out more information about what your state requires. I want to acknowledge too that when you're first coming into homeschooling, in the time that we live in now, the amount of curriculum out there is very overwhelming. So I would encourage new homeschoolers or parents who are just thrust into homeschooling or crisis pandemic schooling to try to narrow things down in a few ways. One thing I've been recommending to parents is to get on their school district website and see what the core class requirements for the grades of their children would be for the year. So if you want to keep your kids um, on track with what their public school peers are learning, then choose especially like a history, a science and a math that will align with what they're teaching in public schools. So that will really narrow down your curriculum because if your child is going to learn US history that year, then you don't even need to look at any of the world history curriculums. It's a blessing and a curse how much curriculum and resources we have available today. Totally agree with that. There is so much to choose from and it can be wonderful and it can be distracting. That's a great segue into our next question, which is if we are starting out homeschooling from scratch, we're new to it, and we really need to zero in on the essentials, the things that we can't do without. For each of you, what are your top three essentials in your homeschool? Lindsay, what are your top three essentials? Oh, this is a tough one. I think a robust math curriculum because I enjoy math, but it wasn't my strongest subject in school. So that is one that I really rely on having an external curriculum for. 
and that I really try to keep my kids just progressing in. I don't want to say on track because I think everyone learns math and picks up things at different stages, but just progressing in. I was going to say the whole internet, but I feel like that is kind of cheating because <laughs> that's showing me too much. But one thing that our family has really been relying on the past few years is Khan Academy. There are some incredible online classes that you can take everything from languages to sciences. My oldest son really enjoys coding classes on Khan Academy. And I'm actually using their online science courses for my children next year for biology and chemistry for my oldest two kids. So I would really recommend people check that out. And then my last one would probably be either the Harry Potter series or the Time series by Madeline Langle, because I probably couldn't take a whole library of books. But those are just continually appreciated in our home and enjoyed. I just feel like there's such a richness to both of those book series that you can get more out of every time you read them. Heather, what about you? Well, I'm laughing because Lindsay knows that we're currently reading through the Harry Potter series (laughs) right now for the first time, and we are thoroughly enjoying it. We're doing the audio, and I am just blown away by how long these books are, but they are really, really good. I almost am sad watching the movies because they just don't live up to the books. Like, you're missing 90% of the book, but that's another thing. So my three things would be, I was just going to say the library or even just an online resource to get digital books. When we weren't able to go to the library during quarantine, I was still able to download books on my Kindle for free from the library for my kids to read, reading in general and good books at that. My second would just be a computer because we do an online math curriculum, all four of my kids. They're all four in different levels, but just a computer so that they can access their online math curriculum. Man, a third. What would be my third essential thing? You already have coffee. I'll just say that. I (laughs) I know. That's like number one. I guess I would just say an open mind. I definitely need an open mind because even as a seasoned homeschooler, things are changing constantly with the learning and with the curriculum. And I used to be one that was like, if I started a curriculum at the beginning of the year, you better believe we were finishing that curriculum. And I've grown and become wiser. And now I know when I need to trash something. I think that's a really good piece of advice. If something's not working, it's okay to walk away from it Mm -hmm. and to do what you need to do to find something that does work. I'm sure we've all spent money on books or curriculum that we ended up tossing aside at some point and you feel a little little guilty and a little (laughs) wasteful. But in the end, when you find the thing that does work, it's such a relief. Absolutely. To Mm. have walked away from the thing that wasn't working. Annie, what about you? Top three essential things for homeschooling. Uh, For me, it's having a home library. I counted up my books. A friend dared me. Annie, how many books do you really have? And I've never counted before because then I might have to admit to my husband how many I have. And so I counted and I have about 3,000 books. Wow. And particularly in this time when we could not get to the library. My kids did not see the library for three months. It was so helpful to be able to have a robust personal library of really good books. Um, My mom was big into literature. And so she had crafted a wonderful collection. And then I've been adding to that. It was really nice to be able to have that right there. I didn't have to be on a waiting list or get anything shipped or whatever. Um, I also include encyclopedias in that. In the day and age when everybody's getting rid of encyclopedias, I bought a set. My kids will just pull one out and pour over it. And mom, did you know that an aardvark does that? No, 
I did not know that. And oh, I also use encyclopedias for copy work. So I'll ask my kids, you know, give me a topic that you want to learn more about. And then I'll just get those pages. One of my kids, I did not give her a choice. I just said, this is your copy work for the week. And it was on ticks. And she was like, mom, ticks. So you can have a little fun with your kids then too. <laughs> so speaking of ticks, my second thing is just being outdoors. I think kids can learn so much science, physics, chemistry, certainly biology and botany, just being outside, looking at these two rocks are different colors. I wonder why that is. Or these two leaves are different shapes. Or this plant didn't come back and this one did. Just a lot of discovery and inquiry that you can do with kids just being outside. And then my third one, I'm going to... I'm going to go with the theme tonight, and I'm going to say a good math curriculum. I use Saxon Math. It is self-teaching. My kids can go back and repeat a lesson if they didn't get it. It takes it off in really manageable portions, and it's cyclical. They can come back and review. It's not just, you're going to do 30 of these problems, and you're never going to see it again. So it really comes back and reviews well. I know that a robust math curriculum is really important, but it's... I don't love math, so it's not one of my top Doesn't make your top three. (laughs) I'm that person. We do math every day, and we actually do math year-round, even when we're on a school break. So I do honor the importance of math, but it's not a passion for me. Books are definitely a top three for me. you know. And I will put in a plug here for used book websites like Mm -hmm. Thrift Books and Abe Books and even, you know, the Amazon marketplace, I buy all our homeschooling books used just to save a few dollars. It's remarkable what's out there. And I'm now kind of an out of print junkie. I want to find the old editions of things. When there's a meltdown in my house, get a stack of books, go to your bed and then come back when you feel better. And it's like a magic bullet, not just, you know, for learning, but for calming, for just everything. Books are medicine. And then we could not get by in my house without art and craft supplies of every kind. And I actually think that I stole this idea from Julie Bogart of Brave Writer to have a designated art area in your home. And that was one of the best gifts I ever gave myself because whenever I'm cooking dinner, they want to make a mess on the kitchen table. And I finally got a designated art table and just art and craft supplies. And when all else fails, they are coloring or crafting, gluing. Um, The only thing I really avoid is glitter. We've had a couple glitter disasters and they lasted for a very long time. (laughs) But yeah, craft supplies and art supplies on hand just are great. And then the third essential thing is tea time. Mm -hmm. And this is another idea that Julie Bogart talks about. Um, She calls it poetry tea time, but we do just story time tea time. And really it's about taking a break, you know, in your week. And sometimes we do it a couple times a week. There are times when it's just an instant solver when the afternoon is is going badly or everyone just needs a pick me up. It's not always home baked snacks. Sometimes it is. Sometimes I think ahead and I'll bake a loaf of banana bread or something like that on a Sunday afternoon and we have it for the week. And the girls don't even drink tea, but I take out our pretty little tea tray and they have real cups and we read a story or some poetry or both. And it's like a reset. I think you can notice I focused in on the magical resets. Those are my three magical resets, I guess, that we couldn't get along without. I think we want to talk to you about structuring the homeschool day. We talked a little bit about having a routine and, but also just being able to give yourself time and space to figure out your routine in the long run. Have any of you heard the concept of de-schooling? 
Yes, I recommend it to every person pulling a child out of a traditional schooling environment. So Annie, can you unpack for listeners, what does de-schooling look like? What's the purpose of de-schooling? The purpose of de-schooling, in my definition, is to rekindle that love of learning. A homeschool experience is much more enjoyable when your kids want to learn. And a lot of times the public school, traditional school, I'll say traditional schooling situation is about moving a number of kids through curriculum. That can leave some kids behind. That can leave some kids bored who aren't moving fast enough. And they kind of think of it as something they have to get through through to get to the end of the day or the end of the week or the end of the year. Whereas to ignite a love of learning can take some time. And so I tell parents, don't do anything for at least a month. What do you mean they're going to be behind? No. Take them to the library. Do not steer them in any direction. Say, pick out whatever books look interesting. And that may be a book on raising rabbits and you have no intention of ever getting a rabbit, but that's the one that interests them today, let them get it. And just start learning cool things. Ignite a love of learning. Let them get some sleep. They're probably tired. People that I've helped transition to homeschooling um, have come out of bullying situations where school was a fearful experience. And so we want them to kind of shed that, put some distance and space between what they were afraid of in a school environment now to a love of learning. My friend Tracy, who is a veteran homeschool mom of about 12 years, she's got two teenage boys. She's a big proponent of de-schooling. And I've heard her give this same advice especially to moms who are pulling their kids out because of disciplinary issues or what you're talking about, bullying, or just a consistent stream of what appears to be academic failures where they're just not thriving in the public school environment. And rather than thrusting them right into a new learning environment and a new structure, Tracy always says, take some time off, blow off steam, do things they love, let them engage their passions and interests, get them some books that they'll enjoy reading, and then gradually, slowly start to add things in. And for parents who are coming into this without a lot of preparation, it's okay to take it slow, to begin with just a half an hour a day or an hour a day, to begin with one subject. Maybe that's math, maybe it's reading, maybe it's science, maybe it's for littles, just reading some fairy tales, and then slowly building up and adding to your day in order to get there. When you're beginning in a space of emergency or abruptness or unexpectedness, you know, even if it's something that you you thought might happen, but you're just still not sure where to begin, it's okay to just start slow. Yeah, I completely agree with that because even as a veteran homeschooler myself with my oldest going into high schools, we still start slow the beginning of the year. Who wants to start every single subject on the first day? Nobody. We take the month of August off pretty much for our schooling and then we gradually start back. One week I'll add one subject and then we'll add something the next week. And then by the end of September, we're up to our full schedule. But nobody wants to start off with a full load the first day. I don't. Yeah, same here. We slow walk it into each school year. And, you know, like Annie was saying about taking at least a month off, I have heard it kind of a, a de-schooling rule of thumb as one month for every year your kid has been in school. And I know that for people who've traditionally schooled their kids, they are probably thinking, no way am I going to let my sixth grader take six months off of formal education. But the thing we need to realize is that time will fly and the kids are still learning all the time. They may not be doing a formal curriculum, 
them. But like we've said here, you know, take them to the library or get them books of something they're interested in. Let them watch tutorials of something they're interested in on YouTube. And even if our kids are in school, never miss a day, there's still going to be gaps in their education. There's gaps in all of our education. I think we would all acknowledge that as adults. And the beauty of that is then we get to fill those gaps as adults. So you can kind of take the pressure off yourself as a homeschooling parent to make sure you cover every single thing by just knowing that it's actually impossible and that you never will. That's a perfect segue into uh, the topic of boredom and technology and what do we do when our kids are in this new situation and they're coming to us and saying that they're bored. They're maybe it looks like they're not learning. They're claiming they're not learning. They're just they're just bored or they want to fill their time instead of with learning with technology, with the internet, with uh, video games or endless Netflix. What can we do to help that along? How can we view that? I think it's good for kids to be bored. When I was growing up, we could never use what we called the B word on our farm uh, because my dad would get out a legal pad and a pencil and he would start a list of all the things, terrible chores, like muck out the barn when we were bored. And so we learned at a young age never to use the B word uh, because dad would make sure we were unbored in a hurry. And so I think (laughs) it's good for kids to be bored. That's where creativity comes from. That's where new games are invented. That's where art projects get started is when they're bored. Like, what would happen if I did this and this? What would happen if I climbed that tree or played this or asked that or whatever? And I think it's really healthy for kids to have some boredom time. It gets their creative juices flowing. Um, it gets them interested and excited and pursuing something that may lead them down a lot of rabbit holes, but that is fine. And if you have some access to outdoors of some kind, if you have access to some art supplies, if you have access to even just cardboard boxes and duct tape, your kids will find something to do. Yeah, I totally agree with that. We do the same thing in our house. If our kids say that they're bored, I will find them something to do. I also just want to acknowledge that if you're coming off of a very busy schedule and then thrust into a homeschooling day that has a lot more free time in it, it can be a little rough at the beginning. Even though we've homeschooled our kids from the start, there are just times and seasons where I am tired or it is winter and I let the kids start doing a little more screen time than I would like to. And I will come to a natural point of reset. And it's a little bit of a struggle for the first week for all of us. But I am consistently amazed by when we put kind of proper boundaries in place around screens in our home, how my kids adjust, how much more creative they are. I will say Sometimes your kids are going to ask you to do crazy things. Like my kids, the beginning of quarantine, they were really into making fires in our fire pit every day. So that meant I gave my three children matches and wood and paper and let them outside and, you know, loosely supervised them to start fires. Obviously, it was in a controlled area. So you may have to become more comfortable with messes or saying yes to things that you may not normally do and that are going to be not as convenient as popping your kid in front of the screen, because we all know that that sometimes the screen can be the babysitter or just the break we need. And there's really nothing wrong with that. But just keeping it 
in check and realizing that boredom is a really good for their brain and for their development. Yeah. I just want to add a book recommendation to that too. There's a book by Anthony, I think it's Isolen. I may have just butchered his last name, E-S-O-L-E-N. And we'll put this in the show notes. It's called 10 Ways to Destroy the Imagination of Your Child. And he's got a big endorsement in here for not relying too much on technology, but also just letting your kids alone, letting them be outside, doing all those things that that we just talked about. It's a great book. Yeah. And I think too, just for us, it's not that I don't let my kids use technology. They have iPads, they play the Wii, but it's with boundaries. Like Lindsay mentioned, they have time limits that they're able to spend on it. And it's almost always after they've completed their work. So it's more or less like the reward, what they get to do, you know, when their work is completed for the day, then they get to spend their time on that technology. And it's not unlimited. It has boundaries to it. I would say also something Heather said just reminded me that technology can also be your friend in setting limits. Uh, There's a lot of really awesome internet routers for your home now. We just got a new one and it allows us to set up a profile for each of our children and determine how much screen time they get during the day on each different device that we have. So whether that's the computer or their tablet and when the time is up, the time is up and I don't have to be the bad guy. It just internet access automatically goes away. So it really saves a lot of squabbles in our house over getting more screen time. And we also have the rule that your work comes first and after your schoolwork is done for the day and your chores, then you can get some screen time. It's called a Griffin router. We like to wrap up our episodes talking about what is saving our homeschools right now. So Heather, let's start with you. What is saving your homeschool right now? Well, currently my saving grace is my homeschool planner because I am in my planning mode and just figuring everything out and coming up with outlines for my kids for their days. So I love the Mardell Simple Plan homeschool planner. So that is my saving grace right now. All right. And we'll put a link to that planner in the show notes. Lindsay, what about you? I would say moving to a six weeks on one week off schedule for the year. In years past, we took like a whole summer break, but I have just found 12 weeks out of routine is a little too long for my family. And it makes the re-entry to routine very challenging. So we are moving more towards a six weeks on of schooling, and then we take a week off and we'll do that for the whole year. And we still get a few weeks off of like a complete summer break. So it's worked really well for us so far. We just kind of kept going in May when we would normally stop. And it's been good for our family just to keep that routine in place. And how long of a summer break did you end up taking? Um, We are kind of in it right now. We're going to take four weeks off. Okay. Well, we'll be interested to hear how that goes when you're back at it. Yeah. Annie, what about you? What's saving your homeschool right now? We are headed out tomorrow on a field trip in our family for your birthday. You can choose whatever we do as a family. So my son is turning 11 and he wants to hike for his birthday. And so we are taking off, uh, taking three days and two nights to camp and hike. And we are packing our nature guides and we are headed out to explore the great outdoors. I'm so jealous because camping in Southwest Tennessee in the summer is like, no. (laughs) 
<laughs> just no. <laughs> if the real field today here was 107, <laughs> so Ooh, there's no yikes. camping happening. I miss camping. So uh, I hope you guys have a wonderful time. We were camping um, in the UP last week, Harmony, and we were in sweatshirts. I know. Oh, I'm so <laughs> envious. I'm so envious. Oh, I'm going to cry over here, you guys. <laughs> this, this Midwesterner in the Mid-South suffers mm. in the summertime. That's um, why I come visit the South in the wintertime. Right, yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> um, I think I've said this before. We have like one really good month of spring and then one really great month in the fall. And then the rest of the year I could just toss weather-wise. But it is what it is. This is where we are. So we just try to make the most of it. But yes, I have camping envy. In my homeschool, this is what's always making my... I should really should say this is always saving my homeschool. I have one of those three shelf carts that you can get at Ikea or Target. I think Michael's also carries them. They're about 30 bucks, 40 bucks. And and everything that we are currently using at any given time is on that cart. It's like a mobile homeschool. So even though I have shelves with, you know, the other books and stuff for the year, I put everything in that cart and then I can send one of my girls say, grab the cart and we can go on the patio. We can go to the kitchen. We can go to the family room, wherever we want to camp out. Like I was mentioning earlier, just being mobile around the house is because of that cart. It is literally my favorite thing because it, it means that the homeschool can be anywhere in the house except upstairs. All right. I think that's it for this episode. Thanks for being with us, everybody. You've been listening to the Relatable Homeschoolers podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. You can find links to all the books and resources we mention on the show at our website, therelatablehomeschoolers.com. We would love to hear your homeschooling questions. You can email us at therelatablehomeschoolers at gmail.com. You can also connect with us on Facebook and Instagram at The Relatable Homeschoolers. We'd love it if you leave a rating and review for us on iTunes. It only takes a minute and we'll ensure more homeschooling mamas get to hear our show. We'll be back with another episode soon. Until then, happy homeschooling schooling.